Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, friends of failure, and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I am here with Tyler Foley. Tyler, how are you doing there? Oh, I'm doing really, really good, Ben, and I'm I'm excited to be on this show, and, and uh, thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for being here. So typically what I like to do is have my guests do a pump themselves up piece before we go into the failures. So maybe do some brags. What, what kind of stuff uh, would you say you're proud of, or what do you want to let the listeners know about your career or your past? Well, I mean, the number one thing I'm proud of is my daughter. Uh, I think she's a testament to me as a parent and, and she's an incredible human being. And at six years old, I'm, I'm in awe of all she's accomplished so far, uh, especially because she herself has a film career. And one of my pump me ups is that I've been in film and television for 36 years now, um, which is just a really fun thing to be able to say that you've been on stage and film and television. I recently published a, a book, The Power to Speak Naked, and it's a number one bestseller a couple of times over. And that that always has me pumped. Uh, currently, I'm targeting number one on the Wall Street Journal list. So I'm doing everything that I can to make that happen in May. So I'll keep you posted on how that goes. I'm sure what everyone wants to know is, are you the one on the cover in the picture? Probably not, right? I I would love to claim that. No, that is a uh, a stock photo <laughs> from Jeff Bezos's site. And the irony is, is I'm not allowed to advertise my book on Jeff Bezos's site because the image uh, violates their um, <laughs> their own terms advertising policy because it contains explicit uh, sexual content and specifically draws attention to the breasts and or buttocks. So <laughs> that's hilarious. They sell to you and you can't use it on their own thing. That's funny. It, isn't it ironic? So 36 years in uh, doing acting and film type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you must have heard the word no a lot in a lot of auditions and things like that. Yeah. Well, so that's the funny thing. You actually don't ever hear. No, you just don't hear. Mm. Right. They, it's very seldom that somebody's like, no, I have had, um, I guess that'd be very, that'd be very mean of them to just be, oh, by the way, no, wait, no, we'll get back to you, but just no. Well, and cause, and it's funny because I've been on both sides of the camera and I've been in the casting room and what it is, is, you know, people come in and they're just not right for the role. Like you just know, they're just that, you know, the read wasn't right or they just didn't, they're not a right fit for whatever reason. And I'm never bothered by not being a right fit. There's times where, you know, you're not the right fit. You're like, Oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you to my agent for getting me the audition because you always want, what you want to do is you always want to give a good audition because even if you're not right for the role, the casting director will remember that you at least read well, you didn't mm -hmm. fit the role, but you read well. And so that's always my goal going in is just do the best that I can do knowing that nine times out of 10 or 20 times out of 10, you're not the right fit. And, um, you know, even when you're really, really good at the craft, there's just, there's, you know, there's, there's fit that you, you know, it, I, I know I didn't get a role once because I'm five, seven and the lady that was supposed to play my wife was five, 10. And they're like, Ooh, we really liked your read, but you two don't pair up and she's got the bigger, the more lines. So we're going to find a guy who's, you know, five, 11, six feet tall. You don't have shoes with thick, thick soles either. Right. Or something like that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not Tom Cruise. So they're not giving me lifts. They're not going to get a whole bunch of Apple boxes for me to stand on or make my court lead lady. Ah, that must be rough because you can't control that. But he, he's five, eight, right? Or something like that. Tom Cruise. Yeah, he's like five, seven, five, eight, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, but that's rough because it's just something that's part of you. I mean, no matter what, no matter how well you audition, you can't be taller. But that's the industry, you know, and I and again, I never take it to heart. I've been, like I said, I've been in the room. I've seen incredible reads and people just knock it out of the park and still not get the role. And I've seen people who uh, lucked into a role because the director just kind of liked what they were wearing. You know, it, it, there's it's so many facets into it. 
But yeah, you never, you very, 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 very rarely hear no. I distinctly remember one casting director um, telling me that I couldn't sing, and I, I don't. Was he right? And I don't disagree with her. I'm not, <laughs> oh, you know, right. I'm not an incredible vocalist, but I did train in musical theater. I have been in a lot of musicals. I can carry a tune. I'm not mm. the strongest vocalist, but I I can sing. But she she did not like me to your face. Oh yeah, to my face. She was she she told me that I uh, she couldn't believe that I'd wasted her time. Um, <laughs> that I knew when I saw the breakdown that it needed to be a strong vocal, and I shouldn't have lied to my agent, and I should be ashamed of myself. I, I'll never forget it. I, I, undressing right in the in the casting room, and what was funny is I ended up on the show singing. I I back doored in somehow and. And she, she was not, I would got blacklisted. Uh, she would, she has never seen me after that, uh, at, for an audition. Did you challenge her to a singing battle right there? Cause that's I what I would have done. You know what? I really should have, but if she can't do it herself, she shouldn't be so judgmental. Yeah. I think at the time I was 20. So I don't know that I, I was I that mean, brazen. I wouldn't have done that either. I would be like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but it stuck uh, with me. It's one of those things that stuck with me. I never forgot it. I bet they usually just tell your agent probably, right? That's where the no's are coming to your agent. Yeah. And then they softly hand it to you. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Or however. So, but that was a great point about how bringing your best self, the casting director might remember you and something else that they're casting for separately. So even if you're not the right fit, I think that's a good idea. So what has your daughter done? You said she's already in film. Oh yeah. She's done a couple of commercials, um, some uh, photo shoots, like some modeling stuff. She did. Um, she's done some print work, so that's cool. Yeah. And, uh, and the sad thing is, is she really had fun. She loved being on set, but with, uh, the world shutting down for the last two years, all of the auditions are self-taped now, which used to be the bane of my existence. Cause I'd have to like figure out, cause I still run, like I'm running two different <laughs> companies. I I'm a keynote speaker and presenter author, you know, like I run around, I do, I, I am busy all the time. As you know, like I, you know, I get like mm -hmm. literally two minute breaks in my day. Sometimes like today is one of those days where I've been going since six in the morning. I'm going to be going until nine o'clock tonight. And I literally have two 15 minute windows to try and get my, some food in my face over the course of those, whatever it is, 14. You're welcome to eat during the show. I don't mind. Yeah, yeah, slam it. No, but it, it's all that crunchy into the mic, you know, and it's it's hard to know. But um, I'm I'm really really busy, and so with the self tapes, it's yeah. been great for me because now I can schedule in my day when I audition. I'm not beholden to somebody else's schedule. You know, your mm -hmm. audition's at two fifteen. You get an audition request now, and it's like you need to submit your your tape by Friday at four p.m. So I can audition at any time in my day that's convenient which is super awesome. But my daughter loved the social aspect. And mm -hmm. I get that because when I was her age and I started acting, that was my favorite part. I loved the interaction with other people. And she misses going to an audition room and seeing other friends and having toys around and you get to play and meet people. And then, and then what she really liked is when she'd go into the audition room, daddy doesn't get to come. Oh, right. So casting director goes in and she gets to have her moment on her own. Mm -hmm. casting directors love her because she's cute as a button and incredibly social. And so she just beams and she just lights up in the room. And so, you know, she'd always get positive praise and feedback for that. She usually knows that she's getting an ice cream if she does her lines and listens properly. Um, and so, you know, she enjoyed going out and now auditions are in the basement with dad. So she doesn't like doing it. Yeah. So she, Does she still get ice cream. She still gets ice. Yes. Yes, okay, good. that's right. If she does the thing, she gets she gets to have the ice cream. The only uh, downside is she just she really doesn't like doing it. So about a year ago, she came to me and she said, "Daddy, I don't want to. I don't want to audition." And I said, "Okay, I'm not. I'm not going to be a stage parent." Of you know? course, I mean, don't force I, you, it. But I, you mean if it opened back up again, she might do it, maybe. But it's because it's this talking to the camera thing. Guaranteed. Yeah, if I could take her to an audition room, she would be very happy to do it. Um, the irony is, is by the time that happens, um, she's going to start losing teeth. And so her audition stuff will stop mm -hmm. for a couple of years. There's like this, there's this weird window where they hire you up until about six or seven, and then you start losing teeth and then they don't want you. Unpredictable. 
Yeah, and then about 10 or 11, oh, you've got all of your teeth again, and then you start acting again. That's why you have a lot of 10-year-olds playing 8 and 7. Oh, I never know how old kids are. So I'm just like, I'm like, that could, could be 6 or 12. I mean, sometimes I'm just so confused because I don't deal with enough kids. But one thing was that really I want to mention is, so I just interviewed Vinny Potestivo. He was a... I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a casting guy uh, who used to work at MTV. He said he'd send over a camcorder and a speakerphone and be doing uh, interviews like that. I mean, or like get them into their character. Did you have to do things like that back in the day where they'd send you equipment to record yourself uh, before you could go to live auditions? No. Like this is forever ago. But you said 36 years. I thought maybe. Yeah. No, that's so that. Yeah, that's that's pre-taping. Or like I, I did used to tape a little bit. Um so it's still an audition, but they're asking you to go on tape for it. And and for me being based in Canada, I did tape not a lot, but mm-hmm. particularly in pilot season because they don't want you going down. I, I remember flying down to LA for a pilot season in like nine, what would have been about 2002, 2003, somewhere around there. And I went down, there was four of us. We rented... Um, a place in Santa Monica and, and which is not close to LA, by the way, <laughs> like, everything seems we, close to LA when you're not, everything seems close to LA until you actually have to drive it. Like it's, it was, it was not the smartest thing that we did, but we got a really cool kind of beach house that was mostly cheap when we split it four ways between us. And we went down for like January, February, March kind of thing, February, March, April, something like that. And uh, is that pilot season? Yeah, that's pilot season or recording of pilot season. Yeah. And so and what happens is, right, they're starting to put together all the shows for to come up. Right. right? Because most shows start to release in September. Right. The fall. Mm -hmm. You have the fall season. So they start all that casting early in the year. And then you're filming 10, 12, 15, 20 episodes. Um, But a lot of that, a lot of the things don't ever make it to episodic. They're just you're just recording a pilot. And then based on the merits of the pilot, then they, they green light it or not. Yeah. And so there's a, they're a little bit more lenient with the pilots because they're just looking for chemistry. They're looking for things to hit. And, uh, and so they, they get a lot. In fact, my buddy, Dave, who I went down with, was um, first refusal for Firefly when, when Joss Whedon was casting Firefly. And Alan Tudyk ended up getting the role that my buddy Dave was auditioning for. Okay. But if you refused it. Yeah. If, yeah, if your guy would have got it, that's what first refusal is. Yeah. That's first refusal. So they've, they've, they've cast somebody else, but they let you know, Hey, if anything happens, do they call it a rofer? Have you ever heard of called a rofer? No. Right. Of first refusal. It's a rent. It's a oh, real yeah. estate term, but that's why I know it, but keep going. Yeah, Sorry. Sa- but exactly. Same thing. Same thing. And they just, they just call it first refusal, but it's, I I've always figured it's kind of like, um, when they announce you, when there's just two of you left in, uh, the Miss America pageant and they say the name of the runner up, it's always that one where you don't want them to say <laughs> your name, right? Yeah. This first refusal is like runner up in Miss America pageant. They say your name, but you're the one crying. <laughs> it's it's still a good spot to be. It's basically like an understudy almost, but without actually getting to the, to the production. Yeah. No, trust me, man. It, it's, it's, it's like, it's the silver medal in the Olympics. You're like, I was so close. So what, what made you transition from doing all this stuff to doing public speaking and then writing a book about it? Even what was the, uh, what was the path that led you there? And feel free to sprinkle some failures in of, I, I don't know, maybe oh. public speaking gone wrong. Who knows? Oh Yeah. No, it was super circuitous for me. Um, like there, there was it, looking back, it's a straight line, but it was totally windy and, and random going forward. Um, at about, well, when I was about 25, again, I had a casting director and she's the main casting director in Vancouver at, for like the big projects. Like when, when something comes and it, it's a big project, she's the, she has that first lockdown on it. She's really, really good at what she does, but she did not like me. Not the singing one. Yes. The same cast okay. director who, who was the singing yep. one. Cause she just wouldn't see me. And so yeah, I'd kind of burned that bridge 
And there's a lot of casting directors in, in Vancouver and a lot of projects that get filmed there. But I'd done most of the TV series. And once you've done like a day player on a TV series, they don't bring you back to be somebody else because you've already played a character. Sometimes in another season, they may bring you back, but it's got to be a really good fit. And a lot of times you're just kind of like, I've done that show and now it's done. And I was, I was doing a lot of work in the early 2000s. And so I'd done basically all the TV shows. And so I, could only, I was basically waiting on films to come. 50% of the films that would come would get handled by this one casting director and then the rest would just kind of be pieced out. So I'd gone from working, 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 working to a point where I wasn't really working that much anymore because I was mm-hmm. waiting for projects, which is never a good place to be. And Qu- question real quick. Does she think, do you think she had a, a long list of people or were you on a very short list of people? She was like, screw this guy, you know, or does she, <laughs> Oh no, the list is, the list is long and distinguished. Okay. So she still yeah. remembers you. I don't know that she would still remember me 20 years okay. later, but I, she definitely remembered me while I was there. Now's your chance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'll just go back. Well, and, that, <laughs> and that's the funny thing is that she, I mean, again, she's a really, really, really good casting director. And, um, and so she's still working. I mean, she's prolific with what she does. It's fun. Actually. I love when I see a show that I know has been filmed in Vancouver and I'm looking at what the Canadian casting was and I see her name pop up. I'm like, yep. Wouldn't have been on that one either. (laughs) (laughs) Did did you get good praise for your singing when you were actually on it from other people? Like, did you do a good job? Um, No, it wasn't like, Hey, Hey, way to go. It was one of the, I, (laughs) I, I, again, I backdoored into the project because um i ended up as the stand-in and photo double for one of the the lead characters and uh he ended up passing away midway through filming and they just they literally needed somebody to to go in and 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 just be a body like they did a lot to disguise me um so that i wasn't that you didn't know that that anything had happened um, but we did have very similar vocal characteristics. He was a, a cons- he was a way better singer than I am. He actually recorded with uh, David Hasselhoff. Uh, oh wow! And she was and, pissed. She was like, "Oh man, yeah." Because when it showed up on my resume, because I got three or four episodes out of that, so I had a I can, I can legitimately say that I had a recurring role on the show. Um, and she was mad about it because she didn't cast me. And I just oh, got, yeah. I forgot that you don't get credit. Okay. Yep. Right. So she, she didn't cast me. I thought you get like and, just whole episode or whole TV show rights. But if you didn't cast the person, you don't yeah. get to take credit. Right. Is that what you're saying? Well, okay. part of it. And she was like, she's like, she was like, I know you weren't on this show. And I'm like, well, but I actually was. It's, in fact, it's the show that got me into the union. <laughs> I, I hadn't, I kind of stayed away from unionized. Uh, joining the the actors union because as a unionized actor you can't do non-union work and when you're starting out particularly when you're younger like there's so much there's a blend right so half of it's unionized half of it's non-unionized and i i wasn't too concerned about where the money was coming from but after i did that show it was one of those things i'd gotten essentially three credits in three weeks and you need six credits to um join the union and I was like, well, I'm halfway. To- this is the Screen Actors Guild, same thing as in the U.S. or different? Uh, so the Canadian version of it, uh, Actra UBCP, but it's an okay. affiliate. So we, I, so I, uh, through affiliation, I'd be a Stag and Aftra, um, okay, member. But it's it's Actra up here, and yeah. So you need you know you need six credits to be a full member, and I basically got half of my credits in a week. And you have, I think, like 90 or 120 days to uh, declare a credit, like if you want to actually register in the union. So it was one mm-hmm. of those things I was like, well, I have, you know, two to three months here to make a decision. I don't have to do it right away. But then I booked two more roles. And I'm like, well, now I'm five of the six credits. Just I'm just going to register in the union. And then the one more and I'm a full union member. And then I've, I've been a... Uh, full union member now since i think 2001 2002 or something like that i can't even remember um what officially counts as a non-union project anything that hasn't obviously podcasts are fine podcasts are fine yeah no so non-union it just is strictly some within film like i can okay, go film and, and do, television yeah film and television if it's under the master production agreement um 
if it falls within their purview. I can't, I can't, I can't basically do TV or film or uh, commercial work. If it's going to show up on the, on the TV or the big screen, I can't. Internet's fine. I can't do it if it isn't. Yeah. Internet's fine. Unless it'll show up on the big screen. <laughs> well, it's some, it depends. Somehow. <laughs> uh, it's internet's internet's fuzzy because there are um, the production agreement covers um, certain internet productions. So like mm-hmm. if I was to do uh, my own show, yeah, right. And I'm just, you know, the Tyler Foley hour or whatever, right. I can put up my own content, but if I'm getting paid by a production to use my likeness, in a film medium, whether that's being broadcast on the internet or television or whatever, or direct TV that, picks up the Tyler Foley hour or something like that. Then exactly. That the production has to be unionized and, uh-huh. and, and basically just followed but what the bottom line is, is. They just basically have to pay me scale. <laughs> and even that's not a thing. You have to fire all the people that you hired that weren't union. Right. But yeah, exactly. Um, and then, you know, and then they, they're working with unionized, if it's a unionized show, it's probably using unionized actors, unionized crew, unionized director. Gotcha. Um, but so yeah. you were in a lull and then you were like public speaking. Oh, no. So that's the funny I'm thing. Guessing. I was in a lull, <laughs> but I turned 25. And because when you're acting as a, as a child, uh, you're uh, basically 75% of your paycheck goes into a trust. And then 25% gets handled by your parents to kind of cover living expenses. And so you're not essentially slave labor. <laughs> so um, I had a, a very large um, trust that came available to me at 25, and I, I was really complacent with the industry as well. Like it, it, it had stopped being fun, and it started being a job. And the gigs were getting fewer and far between because I was having to wait longer, which meant I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing my craft. It was. It's real easy to sustain momentum. When you get momentum, yeah. but as soon as you start to atrophy, it, it's all downhill. Yeah. And the older you got less ice cream. Yeah. And I got less ice cream and Kenzie's now getting less ice cream. It's just, it's a sad, <laughs> sad state when there's no ice cream to be had. But so I decided I was going to go back to school and I got an engineering discipline under my belt. Um, I'm not an engineer. It's a, a geomatics engineering technologist was what the program that I enrolled in two-year diploma. And I started a business uh, doing mapping. That's what geomatics is. So anybody who's clicked ask, on, yeah. yeah, anybody who's clicked on the satellite view on Google maps, I'm, I stitched those pictures together. That, that well, was I've clicked my job. there. So I've seen your stitching. It's good work. Yeah. You, you know, um, and uh, that business failed miserably. You want to talk about failures? Oh, yes, man. please. That um, I I bit off way more than I could chew with that one. I had a great I had great support. My uncle um, made a fortune uh, doing the same thing. He ran a mapping okay. firm. So you basically, of, you went to school for how to map uh, digitally. Yeah, right. Essentially, that's what geomatic but, engineering. Uh, sorry. So geomatics is the study of the earth. So a lot of guys get into or people get into mm-hmm. geomatics and they they become surveyors. Uh, GIS, which is geographic information systems is a big kind of okay. component of it. So like when you're on Google and you have all the, you like, you know, you know, this is the address, the street that you're clicking on. Yeah. That's GIS work. So that's uh, geographic information that's tagged on to a map, uh, metadata. So that that's a big component of it. When my cousin says he's a civil engineer, it's in the same realm somehow, right? You guys are related. Okay. Got it. Very simple. Yes. Yes. He's, he's just pushing dirt, especially if he's doing it digitally. Uh, that's what I, I, he's, yeah, he's designing some of the stuff or whatever and yeah. AutoCAD and all that. Shows. Yeah. Yeah. So I moved into that. So when, when the business failed, I actually started um, doing uh, digital earth manipulation to come up with oil pads uh, for, ah, for classic. Yeah. For guys to drill. But um, uh, yeah. So the, the, basically I didn't, what was the company's business? What was your what was your idea? Or you were gonna do what now? Just make maps? Well, originally, originally it was an aerial survey firm. So we had a fleet of three planes and we took pictures of the ground, both digital and analog. And then you would scan the analog pictures and then upload the digital pictures. 
And then you'd run them through this fancy software that would uh, take what's called terrain relief out of it. So you had this 3D model of the earth and then you'd kind of press the photos onto it and then you take out all the 3D so that it was just flat like a map. Mm-hmm. And and that was that was what I was going to do. That was I was going to specialize in that. I had an incredible mentor who um who took me under her wing, had been in the industry and and a, an incredible photogrammetrist, which is the fancy word for the people who make yep. uh stitch those pictures together. The customers Google or whoever or who's the customer? A uh, primary client is the government. Google does its own. Okay. So, so like if a city wanted Google, the aerials of their city or something, yeah, you would city would want it or the state or the province. I did a huge, huge project for the USGS, United States Geological Survey. The big one that I did for the USGS is actually not uh, it technically U.S. soil. It was um, uh, Puerto Rico. I, okay, I cool. did the coastline of Puerto Rico which was just crazy and thermal imaging of the coastline of Puerto Rico. So everything was in these crazy pinks and blues and greens that aren't part of the natural spectrum. That's cool. But yeah, it was so like, it was such a fun thing. Like I just, I loved doing that work. It was so cool. Um, but I didn't know, I didn't know about business, you know, like I just didn't know. And my mentor was okay as a self-employed entity, but she wasn't, uh, she didn't have a lot of business acumen herself and you're reliant on, on RFPs and, and getting bid and cause everybody's bidding for the same government jobs. Mm-hmm. And sometimes your bid lands and sometimes your bid doesn't. And then we want, we wanted to be in control of our own destiny. And so we're going to map our own future and the, the future is in interior mobile mapping. And we will make all of these crazy 3D models of the interiors of buildings because Google Earth is just starting to come up and Google that Google had like this building module at some point. And we thought, oh yeah, everybody will uptake that. And you know, we can do it for uh, historical archival, right? So, you know, you could go and scan the interiors of the pyramids and then you'd always have a record of them no matter what happened or that's cool. Inca you kind pyramids. of you kind of beat the like virtual tour of a house. Yes. So that's, that was the big market. We were like, we could do this for every realtor and every builder so that the builders can do the warranty, but nobody understood it. And this was 15 years ago. And I just, I could see all the applications. I was like, look where, where we could put all of this in, but the technology was super expensive at the time. Yeah. The internet speed wasn't even good either back then. I mean, like, yeah, you're just too early. Yeah, we were yeah a little little too early, and uh, I sunk all of all of my money into it, like everything, everything. And we didn't have the right director's insurance in place. And um, one day, my business partner, she wasn't feeling very good. It was a Friday, and she went in to the hospital, and she never came out. Uh, She passed away on the Sunday, and uh, everything was in her name. Everything. Oh. I had absolutely no way of getting it into my name. I didn't have credit or um, I just didn't have assets to be able to do it. Contracts and stuff or whatever. And it, yeah. And, it, and IP. And, well, it didn't matter because, you know, your IP is what? It's intellectual property, right? Like it, yeah. it, for this, it was, it was hard to like, I had a, three planes, three planes in a $1.5 million scanner. I was wondering if other people were using your planes or if those were actually your planes. Um, we were leasing them from a company that we uh, basically did it, had a joint venture with uh, uh, a flying company. So okay. they, they provided the pilots. We provided the expertise and, uh, and the money. <laughs> gotcha. And so she was young enough where she didn't have a succession plan or whatever, just didn't. Oh yeah, no. She was she. I was just coming up on her fiftieth birthday. Oh, okay, yeah. So, so, and that must have been really brutal for you, after putting all your money into it and then being able to not do anything with it. Well, and sweat equity, like it wasn't oh, just course. money. It was you know, it, so much went into that, and it just my heart died that day. Um, I I just I remember being lost. Like I just didn't know what the hell I was going to do. And now, a real quick break from our sponsor before we get back into the podcast. It is not always easy to keep up with all the latest news and developments. 
That's where we come in. Startup Radio, a leading startup media platform in Europe. We talk with the future movers and shakers of the local startup scene. Entrepreneurs and investors come to us with their longest, most personal, and sometimes even first English interview. Our newsletter and podcasts are essential reading for anyone interested in startups and innovation in Europe. Well, losing a friend and losing a business or losing a business partner. I'm not sure our friends, how friendly you were, but yeah. Oh, no, friend and mentor. Yeah, you know, we'd, we'd golf together. We'd have, we'd have safety meetings where uh, we would, we would, there was a great golf course just, just beside the air strip that we were, um, that our office was at. And we'd go over and play nine holes and, and, you know, decompress and de-stress and figure out what was going on and have dinner and then get back to work fairly regularly. So yeah, no, it was, it was, it was a big loss with that one, but you know, great learning opportunity. Um, because now I know how to run businesses better, including hiring people who know how to run a business. Now I'm still not a really good businessman, but now I know better than to try and do it on my own. I'm still doing it on my own, but I know better that you're not supposed to like, I've worked in corporate finance and accounting for a long time. So I know how businesses run. I also like, I don't like the admin side of things. So I just get bored with it, but I know what I should be. I should be doing other things, but to your point, yes. Uh, if I, if I become successful in any way, I'm going to be hiring someone else to even do the finances. Cause I know if I'm, if it's not my money, I can tell people what to do, but when it's mine, it's like, I can't follow my own advice, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's important to know where your weak spots are and to, to fill that up, especially in the business. So you, but when you hit rock bottom, then at least anything you, you can do anything at that point. So, well, yeah. And and that's the thing there, there was a, there was a lot of a lot of things opened up as soon as I got to that point. Um, one of them, like, again, the primary client is the government. Mm-hmm. And when your primary client is the government, they are very insistent that you have a health and safety management system in place. And so I, I had to take a whole bunch of safety training to put this, to have that company and, and bid on some of these government contracts. And in doing that, um, I had a whole bunch of safety training. And so a buddy of mine prior to her passing, a, right? Because once she passed, yes, you couldn't yeah. do anything with the business, right? Yeah, exactly. Once, yeah, they, that was okay. done. That was not my baby and I couldn't do anything with it. Literally gotcha. locked out on a Monday. Um, but the, my, a friend of mine, who's a really, really good businessman, him and his father owned an electrical company and by electrical, they were electricians mm-hmm. and, um, he needed a safety manager for a project that he was doing up north and he said you know you've got all of this training if you take these other three courses you can get a national construction safety officer designation and then i can hire you on um to this project and 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 have you you know work for me Mm -hmm. and i said that would be great so he paid for me to upgrade uh, those couple of courses and then I, I started working in safety for him up north, um, doing you know a nine-figure build of this massive, massive industrial commercial complex. And I would, you know, as part of my job, I'd have to go around and motivate the guys or tell them, you know, hey, you got to be working safe. And there was this big quarterly inspection that was happening, and so they had every um, client and stakeholder in in this build. Mm-hmm. on site big big wigs like we're talking you know hundreds of millions of yeah. dollars in and like the build, u.s so. osha but in canada yeah 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 imagine yeah. it's a different thing uh it's it's close it's ohs here okay um so we had a whole bunch of people who were coming through and i needed to make sure that the guys were were doing what they were supposed to be doing and they weren't <laughs> and i remember these two dudes they were up on, on a ladder and a, a big ladder like 18 foot ladder they really should have been in a lift, which I told them, but they, they were on a ladder because it's quicker and uh, they weren't tied off, which is a no-no and particularly over six feet. And they were three times that. And I started yelling at them. I'm like, listen, I used to jump out of windows for a living because when I was in Vancouver, I'd do a little bit of stunt work and I was no, by no means a stunt man but I was an actor who did stunt work and I got to work with some really cool stunt professionals. And cause I'm a wee tiny guy, I look good falling out of a window. 
Mm, so I used to do nice. these. Yeah, I used to do these high falls. Not a lot. I think I only ever did four or five uh, over the course of my career. But they were all fun when I did them. I loved doing it. So I told these guys, I'm like, listen, I used to jump out of windows for a living. And what and that is was safer than what you're doing right yeah. now. So many people die and, falling off ladders yes. every year. It's an insane well, number. Worse, I don't even remember the number, but I know it's I don't get on ladders because of it. And because yeah, I don't like it, getting on ladders. <laughs> Anyways. And the thing is, is the it's not even the the deaths, it's the debilitating injuries, life altering injuries hip. that happen from falls at, at from height, breaking necks, breaking hips, breaking legs. Um you know, especially it's those, and it's those mid heights too. The ones that is just above the threshold of what you should be doing six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 feet. It's so that uh, male body will invert um, head over feet in, within four, within a four foot fall. Oh, wow. So, you know, you've got it. You've got to be tied off or have some kind of protection or, or be doing what you're doing. And these weren't, and so I was yelling at them about this and the executives could hear me because it was an echoey building. <laughs> and uh, so the one pulls me aside. He's like, is that true? I said, is what true? He said, did you, use, did you really actually used to jump out of windows for a living? And I was like, yeah, well, sort of, but yeah. And he said, do you mind making that um, our toolbox talk tomorrow morning? Said, Absolutely. I'd be happy to do it. So did the toolbox talk in the morning and another executive was there and heard it. And he said, listen, would you be interested in giving that as a keynote at our next um, AGM? I said, sure that why not? What's a keynote? <laughs> Cause I didn't know at the time. And he explained, I'm like, Oh yeah, 45 minutes. I could talk for 45 minutes about stunt work. Sure. And the next thing I knew he, his admin was reaching out to me and was like, well, so how much do you charge for your keynotes? And I was like, I don't know. So then I started phoning around some people that I know. I'm like, yeah. what's a keynote? How much do you charge for that? And they're like, oh, you know, X, Y, Z. And I'm like, that's like what I make in a month. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I literally, when the guy was asking, I wrote down uh, my salary for the month. And I was like, this is what I want. And they didn't even blink. He asked if I needed to be paid up front or if I could collect the check on the day. And I went, are you kidding? Pay me up front. <laughs> 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 I don't want you to wait and to see how I do. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was the first time I, I did a keynote and, and then I didn't look back. And what's been interesting is, is I've been doing it so much that, and in front of a lot of executives that a lot of the executives would pull me aside and they'd say, you know, how do you do that? You know, I, I don't ever feel comfortable up on stage. I'm like, oh, it's super easy. I mean, I've been doing, I've been on stage since I was six years old. So it's a, it's a, it's a home for me. I feel very comfortable there. But I feel that anybody can feel comfortable there. It's not a thing to be afraid of. And so I started, uh, I had one executive reach out to me. He's like, well, could you, uh, could you coach me how to do that? I'm like, sure. Like on a baseball field? Like what? I didn't know what an executive coach was. And he's like, no, no, no. Businesses are falling into your lap all of a sudden. Keynotes. Exactly. They just, they just kind of, yeah. Uh, people asking you to provide things you don't even know what they are yet. Yeah. And so, I, but I've always learned, you always say yes. It's one of the things that I learned doing improv, mm -hmm. right? Is yes and. Yes and. Yeah. Yes and. So, yes. And I will figure it out. So, yes, I, it's I have this a, much money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and so I had to phone. I have a friend um, who's a former Olympic bobslayer and uh, now an executive coach, a very, very good executive coach. And he, I phoned him up. I'm like, Jay, you, you do this executive coaching stuff, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, how much do you charge? He's like, well, I'm not talking about that. I'm like, okay, well, let me give you a scenario. And then you tell me how much I should charge. He's like, yeah, I can do that. And I was like, great. So this is a scenario. He's like, oh yeah, no, I'd charge X, Y, Z. And I'm like, great. So then I told the guy, I'm like, I'll X, Y, Z. And then he put, he used to put out surveys, this executive you know, of how he was doing and he wanted to, he wanted feedback. He was, he was a real guy heavy on metrics. And so he's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to ask for feedback, you know? So they would, he asked them to rate them what he was like as a presenter and a speaker of the previous AGM. And they were like, you know, ones and twos out of tens. And they're like, you know, and rate me now. And they're, you know, giving them eights and nines and stuff like that. And as soon as he got that feedback and he saw the kind of impact that I could have, he asked if I would put together a training program mm -hmm. for his uh, supervisors and middle management so that they could be better presenters because that's really where the communication needs to happen. Absolutely. And I went, okay. So I put <laughs> together 
uh, originally this, this, you know, public speaking course. And again, you want to talk about a failure. Oh, Ben, <laughs> that bombed. I remember my first one was just, that sounded like it was going to work though. You, Oh, you led me to believe that it was gonna brutal. Be- the guys liked it. Like they got that. I, I gave value out of it, but I was definitely out of my element. I don't do adult education. I've always been a presenter, but I didn't know how to present on how to present. So I made all kinds of mistakes, which is funny because in my book, basically my book was, is a, uh, counterpoint to everything I did in that first training video, tons of PowerPoint slides with tons of text, Too much text. Oh man. Yeah. And all talking on my part, no talking on their part. Oh, it was sick. It was bad. It was bad. But then I, I, I went back and I kind of looked at why do I feel that it was bad? You know, why wasn't I getting the feedback that I wanted in a lot of what I was doing when I was just coaching this executive was letting him talk, getting feedback from him. And so I decided to go back and, and, and get some coaching certification, learn how to do that properly as an executive coach and as, as a life coach. Yep. So I took some training through CTI and then uh, Radiant Coaches Academy, got significantly better at it, went back and retooled the, the program and then started offering it. But it, with that first one, <laughs> you knew you were good at public speaking, but you didn't know, well, how to teach it. Or also, you don't even need to have to have something to say to be good at public yeah. speaking. So you can no, waste I am people's a time rock star. <laughs> I'm a rock star with a mic and an audience, <laughs> but to teach. And then the irony is my father was a teacher oh, and a really good teacher and a really well-respected teacher, but he passed away when I was six. So I didn't even have him as a resource. And your blood um, somehow. Yeah. But my nan, was also a teacher. And mm-hmm. so I did, I reached out to her. I reached out to some other friends who were doing, um, adult education. Um, and I, you know, I reached out to my professors from school. Yep. That's what I do. Just I, I, teach, and- I, I teach Microsoft Excel online is what mm-hmm. I do. So I had to do the same kind of stuff, at least figure out how to forget what, you know, and then, yeah. and then tell people. <laughs> Well, and that, and that is exactly it. I had to reverse engineer why I'm comfortable speaking because I'm coming from a, it's easy. And yeah. yet there's somebody who has like this crippling fear of judgment and will mm-hmm. not open their mouth if there is somebody else looking at them. And I go, oh, well, so why? You know, and so I, so what I realized rapidly is getting people to be really good public speakers is like 5% speaking. Mm-hmm. the rest of it is, is all mindset and getting over limiting beliefs and getting yeah. people to tackle where that initial fear came from and realize that it's not really a thing that they need to be afraid of. It, it, it was a real bit of a, of an opening journey for me, but that first one sucked. <laughs> How many times did you give the sucky one? Just once? Uh, the first one was brutal. The second one I incorporated some of the learnings that I acquired uh, and was better. Were these new Still groups of people great. or the same people? No, di- a different, same organization, different group of people. Okay, cool. Because uh, the, the, smart, right? It's business acumen. I said, I will do this course delivery, but we need to sign a year contract and I can only take a maximum of 24 participants a month. And the organization had like uh, two or 3,000 employees and probably five or 600 middle management. So I was locking into training them for a year. Uh, so you improve about, your training every time you had a new group. I didn't think of it at the time. I just wanted to lock in revenue. Yeah, But course. it became an opportunity to improve based on the feedback that I was getting from, uh, from the participants. And then with by the time I'd gotten into the third or the fourth one, um, the timing was on, I knew what the exercises were. I knew how to really draw people out of their shell. Uh, I knew the powerful coaching questions and, um, I was able to, to really implement it and, and get it going to the point now that that's how my book was written. I basically transcribed the, um, cause I record everything, right? I'm an actor. I'm going to, sure. everything's on film. Digital so I, transcri- I like to call I, it. I am. Yeah, digital hoarder. So I 
pulled all of the audio from the video and then transcribed the audio. And um, my ghostwriter compiled it for me to mm-hmm. just make it all uh, happen. And I hired a ghostwriter because the first book that I wrote, again, was a miserable failure. It took me three and a half years to write my first book. And it's half the size of, of the of the Power to Speak Naked, which is the book that's published now. And self-published it like that. That one called? Total Buy-In was the first one. Total Buy-In. Okay. Well, I remember yeah. writing one night I wrote 3,000 words randomly in a book that then became this podcast. I was going to write about failure. And I hired a ghostwriter, but just to edit it, uh, like I didn't. I wanted to call him a zombie writer or something that wasn't because it's not really. He's not writing it, but it's more like he's just cleaning it up. Yeah, and that's what that's what my ghostwriter Brian did. He um, right because I had all of this. I had all of this stuff that was transcribed, so I had all of this text. Um, and I was like, I don't know how to put this together cohesively. Weave it. Yeah, because I we have the training, but part of the training is is you're I'm like feedback from the audience right so what are you doing and i would i would skip all over the place because if somebody came up with with a thing that i know that i'm going to address tomorrow i'm not going to be like hey let's put that in the parking lot i'll come back to that tomorrow we'll circle back to this no no Mm -hmm. we're going to address it right now yeah no back burner and you know and we'll i'll figure something else out tomorrow or then we have more time tomorrow whatever right so yeah i um the although all of my training follows the same flow it's never the same and so i needed him to put it together into a flow that that made a little sense yeah i give it a story arc and you know make it just you know more cohesive i imagine yeah. but, but the content or the training is what the most important part is just you know you also got to sell in a readable way i imagine um yeah i was curious do you have any other thoughts on failure because i know you're tight on time today uh we've got about six minutes left so there's two questions i have prepared for the end before that is there any thoughts on failure like how people should approach it and he just last thinks because they're more forward-looking um questions well i mean it's it's so cliche but um you haven't failed unless you've learned you've failed to learn mm-hmm. you know i've i've had some some just dumpster fire situations crop up in my life but they were great learning opportunities. I can look back at them and say, well, I know why it didn't work now. And it's, if you take, if you, if you don't take the time to do that self-reflection, if you don't take the time to do the analysis, then it is a true failure. Like if you, if it's just given up, but if you go, okay, well, why, why, and how can I correct it? Then it isn't a failure. It's just learning. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've, I've really tried to embrace that for a very long time, especially because again, acting, I'm going to be rejected nine times out of 10. I'm not going to get that role that I'm going out for, but it's not because I suck. Mm-hmm. If I sucked, I wouldn't get the audition. The casting directors would just stop calling. That's true. If I'm getting auditions, it means that I have talent. I have enough talent that they want to see me and they're curious to know if I can do this role. And then, eh, it was a good read, but it doesn't quite, it wasn't quite what we were looking for. It isn't the right fit. And then I move on to the next one and then the next one and then the next one. And, and that's really, you know, in anything in life, whether that's business or relationships or, you know, your career, whatever you're trying to do, if you're not learning, then why are, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And and failures failure is just a learning opportunity. I don't really particularly like the word, to be really honest. I know not a lot of people do. I found out after I've done you know plenty of these episodes with the, with the title, people either like yeah. to reframe it as a mistake or whatever. But I like to say like the only real failure is either like you're saying not learning from it or not doing something out of fear of failure. And I didn't know if as a public speaker you have advice for people who don't do things because they fear failure. You know, it's funny that you bring it up because it's actually a thing that I'm having to address with my daughter right now. Um, if she can't do it perfectly, she isn't going to do it. And I'm like, sweetie, there is no such thing as perfect. Let's just get it out of the way. And Or you I, get to I, perfect I, by doing it a bunch of times. Well, and that's closer. the other thing too. Yeah, you, you're only going to find perfection through repeated repetition. And so in order to, if you really are striving for perfection, that's the goal, then you got to start doing it imperfectly. Right, yeah. like uh, you know, your first month of, phys- of of not knowing how to publicly speak, like train people in public speaking, and then by the twentieth group or whatever you did, um, you know, you had your ability to figure it out, but you had to f- 
you didn't know what you're doing. It wasn't perfect. You said no. it sucked ass your first training, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, brutal, brutal. So if you waited until it was perfect, you never would have done that, probably. I would have never done it. And and subsequently, I wouldn't have generated any of that revenue either. Like, that's the thing. It was imperfect. The people still liked it. That's the thing. That first training class, I had good feedback. I felt awful about it. I was like, oh, that sucked. I didn't serve these people. I knew it was bad. I knew what it could be. And it wasn't yet. And all of that because I don't mind being imperfect. And I'll tell you, the Vegas event is going to be spectacular <laughs> and it is not going to go the way that I planned because I haven't had one go the way that I planned yet. I love that it all started because you said you were jumping out of windows. And I hope the first guy who heard it didn't know you're an actor and you just thought you somehow had a job jumping out of windows for some reason. But if you didn't mention <laughs> yeah. that story or yell at those guys, or if they didn't not wear their equipment, right? You might yeah. not have done it. No, no. Yeah, it's, it's no, it's it's amazing. Like even my, I met my wife because Charles de Gaulle collapsed the the airport, and all of that happened because some guy didn't temper the rivets that was holding the glass up properly. They had faulty rivets, and all of that led to me meeting my wife. My <laughs> daughter wouldn't exist if some guy had done the QA on the rivets at Charles de Gaulle when it was being built. It's one of the first times you you like a safety hazard positively impacting you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so be, before we waste too much of your time, there's uh, being a guest on the show, you get a get out of fail free card, and you can use this much like in Monopoly to well instead of get out of jail, you get out of failure. So if there's a thing you've wanted to do, something in life you've wanted to pursue, and it seems like you aren't really afraid of many things, but maybe there's some piece you're like, I can't go do this because I there's too much failure involved. Maybe it's doing you know, something completely different than acting. Maybe it is teaching. Maybe it's a uh, standup who knows what it is, but is there some thing that you'd use that card so you wouldn't have to fail at it? Maybe it's being a parent. Yeah. Yeah. If I, if I could kiss that, that the big, the, when I feel like the most of a failure <laughs> is, is when I am button heads with my daughter, honestly, the thing that popped to my mind, like if I could just, if it, cause for me, that sounds like an easy card, right? Like it's not, it's just, it, if you just won't fail at that thing, so you're just going to be able to do it and do it. Um, do I'd well, probably yeah. get my, I'd probably get my pilot's license. Oh, that's so scary to me. Because I just, I, for me, I want to do it, but I don't have the time to do it. So if I knew that mm -hmm. I just couldn't fail doing it and I'd be like able to like ace every flight exam and just get my hours in, it's like 600 hours or something or whatever, right? I don't know. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, your your first initial training is only 100 hours of, of training, but then you have to get like a 1,000 hours in before you can go on supervise or some junk like that. I can't, yeah. I don't know. I haven't looked into it for a while, but Ton you're right. There's, yeah, a lot of time, you know, sitting in the wrong seat, learning from somebody who really doesn't want to be up in the air with you. So, and I can say that because I know flight instructors. Yeah, and you're sitting in the geomatics room or whatever you're gonna call it, while other people got to go take the pictures, probably. And well, fly I used around. to fly in the planes with those oh. guys a lot because it was fun. I um, when we were operating the cameras, I would, you know, the, the pilot would go and I would mm -hmm. take the pictures because a lot of times they were they were flying like cowboys and they weren't level and they were trying to gotcha. fire pictures on their own. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going up because uh, this is my QA. Is that where you got that urge to be a pilot? From that oh, I've experience. wanted to fly all my life, but oh. the, the, I grew up in a very rural community. And, um, one of the first things that I got to do when I was like two years old was go up in an old, uh, world war one biplane that had been converted into a crop duster and oh. fly with my uncle in a crop duster. And I've, I've loved flying ever since. That's cool. I didn't know it at the time, but I thought I was flying the plane cause he let me take the <laughs> stick, but he was he was flying the plane, but yeah. I thought I was flying the plane. That's yeah. awesome. One yeah. of those, one of those things that you never find out until later and you think about it, but you're like, wow, he did us me a solid, not telling me the truth there. Um, yeah. And so the last question I have is what are you going to fail at next? Is it going to be that big thing in LA or Las Vegas? Sorry. Uh, if it's not that it's going to be the event. Actually, you know what, before I can get to Vegas, I mm -hmm. have a big event in Phoenix. Um, somewhere between six and 14,000 people are going to be there and I'm going to have to try and sell. I was going to say it's a big range, six to yeah. 14,000. 
Well, because the minimum that we need is six. So we were going to oh. sell 6,000 tickets. But um, if we get to the 9,000, that's the full lower bowl. And then we're going to open up the upper deck. And if we open up the upper deck, then we'll blow out discount tickets like $29 kind of thing. And then it'll go, we'll sell another 5,000 that way. So somewhere in that range, but a minimum of 6,000 people, more likely eight or 9,000 is typically who attends these events. And I have to convince one to 200 of them to come and party with me in Vegas, plus sell enough tickets that we have at least 300 people in Vegas for May. So May for me is probably the next thing that I'm going to fail at, and it'll be a great learning opportunity. I've already failed a couple of times putting it together, including um, going down and uh, officiating a wedding in Mexico, right when all of these contracts were supposed to be signed. So the one contract, because the Vegas event is at the MGM Grand, and the MGM was trying to reach me and I had my phone off and because I was in Mexico officiating a wedding. I was focused on the bridal party and I'm not answering. I'm not working for three or four days. And unfortunately, uh, we um, had the contract lapse. So now my room block costs more. A quote. These are things that I don't understand, Ben. For the wedding yeah. party that you gave them. You paid extra to speak. I, I, or I'm paying <laughs> extra for the MGM grant just so that my friends Kaylee and Mark could have a pretty man marry them on a beach. <laughs> That's a cool reason. I never thought you were going to say you're officiating a wedding. I didn't think that was in your <laughs> realm of, of expertise. <laughs> it was my, it, honestly, it's the favorite gig that I've had in a, in the last year. I, it was an honor and a, and a joy and a pleasure for them to have asked me. And I, I, I certainly happy that I did it. That's great. Well, where can the listeners go to find out what you're working on, what you're doing these days, pitch, whatever, you know, plug, whatever things you're doing or where they can go find you. Well, um, before I do that, Ben, I would say that um, I would encourage them if they're enjoying what you are presenting with the failure guy to go to your website or whatever platform they're listening to this on right now, right? They're listening to it somehow. Just hit pause and give Ben a five-star review. Because I got to tell you, I do a lot of podcasts. Ben and I were talking offline. I've been on 200 over 200 podcasts in the last 10 months. And I know good hosts when I hear good hosts and Ben's a good host and he's bringing quality content to you. So if you're listening to this right now, please do me a favor, hit pause, give this show a five-star review or a thumbs up or a like or a share and actually give a review. Like what, what was your favorite episode? What is something that Ben has brought to your attention that you really enjoyed? Like be good with that. And if you're willing to do that, then you can come over to, but do it right now. Hit pause. Okay, good. Now you're back. Now you can go to my website, which is seantylerfoley.com. Sean is spelled the proper Irish way. S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com. You go to seantylerfoley.com. You tell them Tyler sent you, and we'll hook you up with all kinds of freebies and goodness, but only because you gave Ben a five-star review. So no five-star review for Ben, no freebies or goodies for you, but we have um, my free Endless Stages Facebook group, which is a fun way to come and train with me for free once a week, every Tuesday at noon Pacific, three Eastern, one mountain time. Uh, I come on and I give a 20-minute training every Tuesday on public speaking. So if it's a thing that people feel that they're a failure at, I would strongly encourage them to come on. doesn't cost you anything. It's not one of those groups that's a pitch fest either. I hate What's it those. Called again? Endless stages. I'll put Endless it in the stages. show notes, of course. But yeah, and I, thank you, first of all, for requesting that. I'm never going to tell people to review the podcast, so I appreciate you doing that. Um, yeah, no, also, it's, it's the go, go for it. Well, it's the thing that every good host forgets to do because you're concentrated on your guest, and then you never plug your own show. And I appreciate that you, sir, are an incredible host with a great show and a great message, and you've had some really, really good guests on. Um, with some really good messages. So I, I definitely appreciate the platform. So this is the least people can do. If they're listening to this, give it a five-star review because else, why else are they listening? I appreciate it. I definitely wasn't a good, as good of an interview in my first one. So just like you, you know, you got to fail it till you nail it is what I say instead of fake it till you make it. So I would I love it. highly suggest um, everyone go check out your, uh, your Facebook group because a free resource like that sounds um, super useful. But I, I appreciate you coming on. I know you have a busy day, but I do appreciate you sharing, being vulnerable. And showing up, uh, you know, as your full self all day long uh, for everyone else, too, that is going to get you yeah. today. Oh, Ben, I uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. And and I thank you for the time. Um, 
do make sure that if those guys are going, if you are going to go to the endless stages, Facebook group, don't just search it on Facebook. Do come through the website. Cause when you go on the Facebook group, we'll let you in, but you won't get any of the freebies. Like I have, um, my video series training, drop the mic, um, is free to you. You get that as a download. We have the method, which is a, uh, an 11 page, um, document that I have with five insider secrets on being a better public speaker. So all of that stuff comes to you free. If you sign up through the website, Sean Tyler Foley.com, Sean Tyler Foley.com. But if you're just coming, S-E-A-N. S-E-A-N. if you're just coming through Facebook, you're not going to get all of the good stuff. You're just going to see my smiling mug every Tuesday. So I'll make sure just to link or I'll make it sure in the show notes that I point people to the right place, but yeah. I do appreciate coming on. And, uh, and like I said, you'll be on IMDb connected to this. And if anybody out there is a podcaster and listening, you should put your podcast on IMDb and feel free to reach out to me if you need to know how, because it's crazy. You can, you can take credit for stuff, directing, editing, producing all that stuff. So I would highly suggest it. And people like uh, Tyler who have a profile, they get linked with you as well when you put them on there. So I'm surprised no one's done it for you yet. So I'm happy to be the first to do that. And I appreciate that you are doing it. And, uh, and I look forward to supporting you going forward, sir. Thanks a lot, Tyler. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel, yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over five hours of in-depth video lessons, plus it comes along with my master workbook which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of six best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.